Welcome to the first episode of An Offer You Can't Refuse. I'm Kyle. I'll be your host. And in this podcast, we are going over Easter eggs and little references that I noticed in episode one of The Offer on Paramount+. Plus. Before we get into the episode itself, a little bit of my history with the Godfather series. When I went to college, one of the very first film classes that I took was a subject-specific class called New American Cinema, which is all about the era uh, between the late 60s and the early 70s. He's with movies like Easy Rider going all the way to Raging Bull. Uh, there's a great uh, book about that era called From Easy Riders to Raging Bulls uh, because it is all about the movies of the late 60s to the early 80s. And obviously Godfather coming out in 1972, that was a topic that we discussed in class and because one of the final films we watched was Apocalypse Now. And because of that film... I decided to write my final paper on The Godfather Part 2. And I initially actually got my deadlines wrong. And I thought that the paper was due a week later. So I was actually waiting on our class as viewing of Apocalypse Now to start my viewing because it is also a Francis Ford Coppola film of The Godfather Part Two, And because of the mix-up, uh, Rusty Castleton, my a professor, w- actually gave me a two-day extension. But that meant that I had to watch The Godfather, The Godfather Part Two, and write an 18-page paper in 48 hours. And luckily, I'd, I'd seen bits and pieces of The Godfather at that point, and, but I very much got immersed into the culture of that film and the culture of the sequel and many behind-the-scenes takes. And I had to very much analyze the politics at the time and how the movie was portrayed and how the movie commented on specific instances that were happening at the time of its release. So then in subsequent years, I have gone back and revisited uh, both films as well as part three numerous times, and they've become one of my favorite film series in total. And so then when I saw that the offer was coming out, I very much wanted to look into it and see how many little tiny references were being made. And so we'll get into the first episode itself. So spoilers ahead. If you haven't watched the episode, uh, check it out on Paramount Plus. Um, If not, uh, just sit back and enjoy listening to me talk about fun references So episode one is called A Seat at the Table. And from our very opening shot, we actually get our first Easter egg, our first set of Easter eggs, actually, because there's a double in this um, because we are following Joe Colombo, who was a a mafia boss and the head of the Colombo, formerly the Bonanno crime family, 
walking into a meeting and he's walking through Little Italy very similarly to how Don Fanucci is looking and walking through Little Italy in the beginning, in the middle portion of The Godfather Part Two, when he, right after he meets with Vito Corleone and is very similarly shot uh, from the wide shot because uh, uh, it's during a celebration and you get Don Fin, you get Columbo walking and being greeted by numerous patrons and, you know, glad handing and he walks in and then one of his bodyguards goes around to grab something from the stand and one of the other bodyguards says, hey, leave the cannoli, which is a very much a reference to the leave the gun, take the cannoli line from The Godfather that Clemenza says after they take out Pauly. And during this meeting, once again, I said many patrons were coming to Colombo oh, and talking to him as he's walking into the meeting. But the meeting is actually interrupted by a baker. Uh, handing him things. And I've got to say that this clearly is a nod to Enzo the Baker, who is one of the guests at the wedding in the Godfather film itself. We are then introduced to Robert Evans, who is the head of Paramount Pictures. And they're talking about a Clint Eastwood musical, uh, which is actually the production of Paint Your Wagons, uh, which would end up coming out in 1969. And they are also in the process of negotiating the casting for uh, Jack Lemmon and Walter Matthau for The Odd Couple. Then we are introduced to Al Ruddy, who is the producer of The Godfather, or, and who this is a lot of his experiences are what is the tale that we are following in this series, The Offer. And he is working at Rand Technology. He's invited to a party at the Chateau oh, in Hollywood. And his friend is, you know, very much is getting hit on by multiple beautiful women. And he's saying, oh, clearly I'm in the wrong business because his friend at that point is a television writer. And we're quickly introduced to a lot of characters here. And then we finally cut to Mario Puzo. Uh, who had just written a book uh, and is very down on his luck. He said three people showed up to his book signing and his agent or manager, I don't know quite which um, they never really say, tells him that, oh, people really responded to your mafia character who was a side character in this book. And it's like, well, why don't you talk about the mafia? And he is very apprehensive of doing this for multiple reasons, growing up in Hell's Kitchen and knowing a little bit. He's like, you know, he and then at this point, he's also shaken down for what seems to be some gambling debts. Uh, So he's goes home, Mario. Oh, and his wife actually suggests, you know, maybe instead of doing a, you know, hack job at just a regular mafia story. Why don't you tell 
a story about that community and the fact that these are regular people to which Mario responds, well, regular people don't kill people. And his wife says the brilliant line of, so maybe we don't kill, or maybe this book is about finding the reason we would, which in a lot of ways is the central focus to Michael's story in the original Godfather film. Cause Michael is so out of the family business, but then you see the moment where he is dragged in and he is needed and pursuing this lifestyle, even though it's against his wishes. And then this also cuts back and forth between Mario starting to write and Albert Ruddy at the party still or at a different party. And he's talking about how formulaic so many of these sitcom tropes are how, you know, so many characters are the same, but what could be the biggest difference would be, uh, Ruddy ends up saying, if he, you really want to disrupt things, you put your cast of characters where they least want to be. And so they're slowly pitching ideas of war comedies, but they are never set in the actual war, he says, because everyone thinks, oh, that's too sad. And then we go back again to Mario Puzo, and he is typing away on the typewriter and he tells his wife about the fact that there was, he's come up with the story and it's going to be about these three brothers. You know, one, the oldest brother is a hothead. The middle brother is very kind, but he is a little weak. And then the youngest brother is a war hero who went off, off to fight in the war and doesn't want anything to do with the family business. And then their father is a combination of all three. He and a very powerful, kind man. And he doesn't want any of this kind of stuff for Michael. You know, he wants Michael to succeed. And he never wants him to have to go into the family business. And this is when he even talks about how, you know, at one point he's, he's hoping... Michael could make more of himself, you know, be, be a, a congressman, be, you know, Senator Corleone, Governor Corleone. And right after that, we go to uh, Ruddy's pitch to the studio, to the television studio. And he, at first, him and his partner pitch a, basically a workplace comedy called Modern Warfare, and you can tell right away the studio hates this pitch. So then they go into the pitch for what eventually becomes Hogan's Heroes, which that, of course, gets sold and made. And I find it really funny that a lot of the more Godfather references, at least in the first episode, are mostly centered around the actual mob stuff 
as opposed to the Hollywood storyline. Because our next big reference to the original Godfather film is the fact that Joe Colombo is set to do a meeting with a couple members of the commission and it is at a small Italian restaurant. He excuses himself to go back to the bathroom and that's where we see him with a gun complete with the old fashioned pull down toilet, very much mirroring the Michael going to the bathroom when he uh, has the hit on Salazzo and McCluskey. But in a nice little twist, uh, this is actually Columbo telling the mafiosos that Bonanno is basically about to betray them and he was actually sent there to take them out, but he doesn't agree with how Bonanno is handling things and thought that they should be informed and to let their decision be theirs, uh, which this is apparently a true story on how this actually took place. And that is why from then on, because he was a ranking member of the Bonanno crime family and because of that service that he does to the commission itself, that is why that is why Columbo takes over for Bonanno and it becomes the Columbo crime family. And then the rest of the episode kind of happens. We we are finally introduced to Betty, who is uh, Ruddy's secretary, played by the wonderful Juno Temple. And she starts pushing things in motion and um, to actually get Francis Ford Coppola hired. And then it's it's in the trailer and it's a nice little scene of Francis Ford Coppola and Mario Puzza uh, cooking. This is probably, especially as a creative type, this is probably my favorite relationship in the show so far is the relationship between Mario Puzo and Francis Ford Coppola, especially when you know the history that they would continue to work together for, for years. You know, Coppola would very famously insist that the movie be called Mario Puzo's The Godfather. But the scene itself very much echoes a scene in the first Godfather film between Clemenza and Michael when after the Don is shot, uh, Michael is coming around and Clemenza is showing him how he decides to prepare his sauce and the little tricks that he does and this was very important to Francis Ford Coppola. He even mentions it in the commentary about how he wanted to base it so much in reality and so much of, you know, the cooking and seeing, you know, people interacting like everyday lives to humanize these very dastardly, you know, characters. Like he wanted audiences to feel sympathetic to who was most likely a mass murderer in the dawn when the dawn finally dies at the very end we want to feel the pain that his family would feel 
One of the other last notes that I, I keep thinking is really funny. It seems like it's a running gag throughout the first few episodes is that of Bob Evans uh, pitching his wife at the time, Allie McGraw into all of these movies. Like he pitches her into a love story as the lead. And then there's all these references subtly to Steve McQueen. And eventually uh, one of the movies that gets made is the getaway starring Steve McQueen and Ally McGraw. And that is actually when Ally McGraw left Robert Evans for Steve McQueen was during the filming of that film. And that's really all the Easter eggs and fun little references that I've noticed throughout this first episode. If you've got any others and you just want to talk about the series, you can find me on social media at knocked out films and make sure to like, and subscribe on all of your podcast apps and thanks.